What a, what a joy and a privilege to be able to speak to you again. Uh, so sometimes it's just out of body, seeing what God does in your life and some of the situations he puts you in. And, and uh, I'm just grateful to him. He, he's a great and awesome God. We are, we are living in very crazy days, as I mentioned last week. Perhaps none of us could ever imagine seeing the things that we're seeing today. We've seen common sense go out the window. We have uh, seen integrity vanish. We've seen morality all but disappear. We're seeing political corruption flourish and big government trying to strong-arm the American people, which we never thought would happen. Nikita Khrushchev's words of nearly 70 years ago seemed to be coming true when he said on November 18, 1956, we will take America, speaking of communism, we will take America without firing a shot. We don't have to invade the United States. We will bury you from within. These are days when wrong is right and right is wrong. Truth is irrelevant. Terrorists are honored as crusaders and Christians are, and conservative parents are fanatical enemies of the state. Fidelity is mocked. Uh, God is said to be a myth. Men pretend to be women and women pretend to be men. Truth is only truth if it helps you win your cause. Truth is relative. It's not absolute. There are theologians today. Some of them are claiming to have more insight than any of their predecessors. And they're claiming that their interpretations of a particular scripture supersede any of the traditional interpretations of scripture because they have deeper knowledge today. One could almost, I say almost, become despondent over the state of things today. But I'm standing here today to tell you to take heart. Take heart. These are exciting days. Because the things that are happening right now are almost word for word the things that Jesus described as happening on a worldwide scale just prior to his second coming. So rather than bemoan these days, I would say to you, lift up your head, church, for our Redeemer draws near. Yes. I personally believe strongly in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And by imminent, I mean that is there is not one event that's yet to take place before Jesus can return. Prophecy has been fulfilled. And the next event on the prophetic calendar of Scripture is the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God for those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. But for us who are waiting for that next wonderful event, the question remains, how do we live in these dark days? How do we stay on track and focused? How do we stay true to Jesus and not be fearful and dismayed over everything that's going on? Because you almost have to hide yourself under a rock to not be exposed to all of the things that are going on now. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the way we do that is by being completely focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and on our future with him. Just like last week as David was focused in Psalm 63 on the Lord Jesus Christ to get him, moving him from trouble to triumph. 
we can do that same thing. The title of our psalm this morning, if you would turn with me to Psalm 84, Psalm 84, it's just one of the many passages that continue to point us toward the Lord and toward heaven when things are just plain nuts in the world around us. The title of this psalm is, uh, to the chief musician, an instrument of Gath, or Giddeth, on an instrument of Giddeth, according to Giddeth, some kind of musical instrument, who knows what that was, uh, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Last week, we looked at what David had to say. Today, I'd like for us to look at what the sons of Korah have to say about these days we're living in and how to get through them. It's a very interesting thought, too, because the sons of Korah were Levites. They were part of the priestly line. They were from the family of Koath. By David's time, it seemed like the sons of Korah served almost exclusively in the the musical aspect of the worship in the temple. They were the worship team. They were the musicians. Now, if you remember the story of Korah, very interesting guy, he he led a rebellion of some 250 other men and community leaders against Moses when they were in the wilderness, saying that Moses, you're not the only one who has a right to stand as intercessor before God. And it was you, you kind of remember that story, and, and God told Moses, tell them, okay, tell these guys to gather all their censers and put incense in them and go meet me here and stand before me. Uh, we know now, but it was a setup. And God judged Korah and those leaders, and they all died, and most of their families died, except for the sons of Korah. They were the one. It was typical for God to deal with whole families and to kill them all at that time of the fathers who sinned against God. But he left the sons of Korah. And I like to think it's perhaps because they were so grateful to God. They understood what their end probably should have been. But God set them apart to praise him generations later and to even write Scripture And I think they were so grateful that they were letting it pour out. Charles Spurgeon said that Psalm 84 was entitled to be called the the pearl of Psalms. The pearl of Psalms. So I want to read it together with you this morning. It'll be on screen or if you want to follow along in your Bible. Either way is great. Verse 1. You're going to recognize a lot of verses in this psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. 
Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So let's see if we can get some insights this morning into how to stay on track in a world that's gotten off the tracks. Number one, focus your thoughts on heaven often. We need to focus our thoughts on heaven often. Do you think about heaven a lot? The psalmist said, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. Now, I'm not sure if the sons of Korah were talking about the, the tabernacle, which was the temporary facility for worship in Israel, or if, he was, if they were, it was at a point where after Solomon had already built the temple and they could see the glorious edifice that was constructed by Solomon. But not sure which one, but what I am sure of is that the affection here is clear. How lovely is your dwelling place? He loved the house of God. Whether it was a tent or a permanent building, he loved the house of God. He considered it beautiful. As men, we don't, often don't use the word lovely. It's not a guy's word. But I'll tell you what. If you had that relationship with God and were standing in his presence in the temple, you would probably use words like that. All protocol would go out the window and you would describe him as lovely and his place where you met with him is lovely. And it was lovely because of one reason. It was where God was. Remember that the peace and the beauty we long for is only found in the place God dwells. We, we appreciate art. We appreciate beauty. We appreciate nature. We appreciate all these things. But it's, it's going to be the only peace and beauty that is going to satisfy us totally is going to be when we're in God's presence, when we find the place where he dwells. Sometimes we get so discouraged because of our surroundings. Our circumstances aren't as lovely as we'd like them to be. Number two, don't fear the gathering storm clouds. Don't fear the gathering storm clouds. He, he, how lovely is your dwelling place? And he says, Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty. It's literally the Lord of hosts, and even more literally, the, the Lord or the commander of heaven's armies, the one who controls the myriads of angels. When we feel like the forces of evil are closing in on us, remember the one who controls heaven's armies. He's watching. He's watching. Number three. Realize that we are homesick for heaven. He says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Have any of you ever been homesick? <laughs> Nothing cures it but home. It's a funny thing. When we're homesick for heaven, when we're dissatisfied with the things on earth, it's not because something is wrong. It's simply because we're not home yet. D.A. Carson wrote, Genuine spirituality cannot live long without an attitude that is homesick for heaven. 
that lives with eternity's values in view, that eagerly awaits Jesus' return, that anticipates the day when Christ himself will bring everything under his control and will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we mature spiritually, I think the more homesick we become. The more we get to know our blessed Savior, the more we get to spend time with him in his word, the more homesick we get to stand in his presence. Number four, verbalize our homesickness often and out loud. The psalmist says, my heart and my flesh cry out. The heart is the inside of us. The flesh is the outside of us. And what he's really saying is both inside and out, I'm crying out for God. Both inside and out. Jesus said once, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if we begin to faithfully express our homesickness out of the deepest part of our heart, I think our flesh will soon begin to desire the very thing that our heart desires. Sometimes our flesh is such an enemy, isn't it? He said, don't eat that food. You I should, I should show some restraint here. I shouldn't eat that whole half gallon of ice cream. And pretty soon, your flesh wins in a lot of situations. But I want, I want my flesh to cry out with what my heart wants. I want my flesh to follow my heart. But my flesh never will follow my heart unless my heart is so homesick for Jesus and I cry out loud with that. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us to what? Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, that's the flesh, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. What a great, great verse. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He's coming back, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If you're homesick, you're eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back. Are you homesick for him today? 2 Peter 3.11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, we should be the looking forward kind of people. You ought to live holy lives, godly lives, as you look forward, look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Anticipation is super important to stay on track with Jesus during the days we're living in. Anticipation of his return. Anticipation of what it will be like to be with him in comparison to what it's like living in this world. And the more we verbalize that anticipation, the more aware and focused we will continue to be. On my drive over here, I spent a lot of the time saying, oh, God, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I didn't break down and sing a heaven song like Dee sings because that's crazy. (laughs) I can't sing it like Dee can anyway, you know. But 
I do sing songs about heaven. I think about them. I love Phil Wickham's new song that we sing here sometimes. It begins like this. How I long to breathe the air of heaven. Do you long to breathe the air of heaven? When the fall's coming, the fall's my favorite time of year. And I love getting up in the fall morning when it's cold and crisp and clear and you step outside and it it smells so good. Man, that's going to smell like a paper mill compared to heaven. How I long to breathe the air of heaven. And if you don't know the new song, sing some old ones. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Or it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face. All sorrow will erase. In the Valley of Vision, one of the Puritan writers says, Without the hope of heaven, I can never be at peace here on earth. Isn't that good? Without the hope of heaven, I can never be at peace here on earth. Now, Homesickness can be contagious. Now, this one isn't in your notes. I had one that wasn't in your notes last week, and I'd like to tell you it's just a test, but it's not. It's a guy who's kind of forgetful. I forgot to put this in your notes too, but it's homesickness can be contagious. The more we express our homesickness, the greater the chance that others around us will get homesick for heaven as well. It'd be so sweet, wouldn't it? Don't you think it'd be wonderful to see a new pandemic? One of homesickness for heaven. See that sweep through our land? Oswald Chambers, no relation, says, You can never give another person that which you have found, but you can make him homesick for what you have. I love that. We can't give them our salvation, but we can sure make them homesick for the salvation we have and the Savior we love. Number five, ultimately, our homesickness is for a person more than a place. The psalmist says, for the living God. It's for a person more than a place. Without the person, the place will not satisfy. And I just want to tell you, if, if you go someplace after you die and Christ is not there, it's not heaven. If the person of Jesus Christ isn't there, it's not heaven. When I, after we graduated from high school, Kath, my wife and I were high school sweethearts. And um, she ended up going to Oregon State, and, and I went to Treasure Valley Community College over in Ontario to play baseball. I went over there, and I was there the first week of August because we were going to play some fall ball. And between then and the start of school, I think I made four or five trips all the way back to Corvallis and Roseburg. I, I, I won't tell you how fast I could make that trip because it would verify to you that I am a sinner. <laughs> but I kept coming back and coming back. And before the school year started, I had figured out that I could live without playing baseball over there easier than I could live without being near my sweetheart. So I had the registrar tear up my records, and I went back and played over here at a community college, 30 minutes from my wife to be. I was, it was because of the person. It wasn't because of the place. I couldn't wait to get back to where she was. Heaven is where the lover of our souls is waiting for us in all his beauty. And without the person, we will not be satisfied. 
Number six, recall the sacrifice and the security provided by Jesus. In verse three, the psalmist says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. You know, the birds had gotten in there. You know, if they can get in Costco, they can get in the temple. Do we dwell near the altar? Are we like those birds? Are we, we close to the place where we can present ourselves regularly as a living sacrifice? Evidently, the psalmist had observed these sparrows in there and the swallows, and they'd nested above the altar. And, and G. Campbell Morgan says that the writer of this psalm had peculiar familiar, familiarity with the temple. He had watched it with loving eyes, and he'd seen the birds find a resting place there near the altar. They were safe there. They were secure there. No one was going to kill them just because they were nesting above the altar. In these days of turmoil and uncertainty, of lies and cover-ups, we do well to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and the security that he promises to those who love him no matter what's going on around him. He says, not a single uh, sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. He cares for the sparrows. He cares for you. But the psalmist next makes it clear that we're not on a short journey. This is not just a short journey to heaven. Our nearness to God won't be fulfilled in one single swift stroke. Well, well, it might be. (laughs) But number seven, we're traveling home, he says in verses five through seven. And traveling home requires a certain mindset. He says our hearts are set on pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is a long journey. A pilgrimage is going to a place that we've predetermined we want to go, and we're not going to let anything knock us off track. I love how the ESV translates it. It says, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion? Are the highways to Zion in your heart? It's been said that whoever wants to be near God has to go on a journey, on a pilgrimage. And that's this life we're living. And it takes us through some rough places. And a lot of times it's not due to any of our fault at all but it's just because of where we are at a given point in time. But God's there. The Lord of hosts is watching. And again, as pilgrims and strangers on this earth, we got to remember, our citizenship isn't here. Sometimes as Americans, we have this this desire to, to treat American citizenship as the highest goal possible. It's not heavenly citizenship is. Now, I'm not, I, I love being a citizen of the United States. Please don't forget, don't say, I was saying anything against that. I, I, I trust Jesus to see us through this time. We as pilgrims are traveling toward the eternal presence of the Lord. And sometimes it can be a long journey. The story is told of some career-long missionaries who were old and they were tired. And they were returning to the U.S. to live out just the remaining few years. They happened to be on the same ship as a U.S. ambassador who was coming back across the Atlantic after a successful trip to resolve some political problem with an ally overseas. And when they neared the dock in New York Harbor, there's this huge crowd with banners and marching bands and ticker tape celebrating the successful return of this ambassador. And the two senior, the senior missionary couple stood there silently on the rail watching all this fanfare, leaning on the rail, and the the man finally spoke his heart. He said, it doesn't seem quite right that this man has been gone for one month, 
And look at the reception he received. We've given over 50 years of our life in overseas service to missions and to the Lord. And there's not one soul here to greet us. And his wife put her hand on his and wisely said, Dear, that's because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. So you might feel like your life is underappreciated and and that there's very little acknowledgement of your service and your walk with Jesus, very little acknowledgement of your quiet acts of service that seem to go unnoticed. But one day, your pilgrimage will be over and you will receive a rich welcome from the one who counts the most. Verse 6 says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca can mean dryness or weeping. Either one denotes hard times. A trip home can involve dryness, dry times. It can involve times that are filled with tears. A trip home can really make it seem like we're just dried up pots herds. But as we go through those dry times, our presence And the Holy Spirit's presence in us can turn those dry times, as the psalmist said, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Jesus said in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them, from within them. So rather than complain about this dryness we're in, these weeping times that we're in, We provide living water to those around us. If we're busy handing out living water, (laughs) it's pretty hard to remember the dryness because that living water brings such life. You want to be a water carrier for Jesus? I do. I do. In this sin-darkened world, we live every day in the valley of weeping. So how do we handle that? What provision does God make for us as we're on this long journey, one of the highways to Zion? What provision does God make? Well, I think God has given us, in his word, he has given us a glimpse around the corner on that long journey. He's given us a glimpse of Zion. He's given us a glimpse of heaven. We've, we're on our trip. We're on the right road. We've used our Bible trip check. We know where we're headed We're headed toward heaven, but how do we keep encouraged? We're sure of the route. We're sure of the destination, but God gives us enough of a view of heaven in his word. We can't explain all the details of heaven, but he's given us enough of a view of heaven so that we're able to continue on through the valley of dryness and through the valley of weeping and move along the highway to Zion with joy and anticipation. We've been given enough information about heaven that we have the determination to continue on our way no matter what the difficulty. That is how we keep our hearts set on pilgrimage, by longing for what lies ahead. God is good at taking the valleys of hardship and heartache and turning them into something full of joy and fruitfulness. I'd like to look at a couple more examples of uh, what God can do with bitter and dry valleys in our lives. In Joshua chapter 7, uh, it says in Joshua, you remember Achan, the story of Achan, he stole some stuff at Jericho and hid it under his tent. And, and when the army went out the next day to Ai, they said, oh, we don't need to take everybody. This is a piece of cake. And, and they got handed their tails in a basket and and so everybody's weeping and mourning and looking at 
this whole situation and they discovered it was Achan. And so, and Joshua and all Israel took him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all they had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us today? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And you know, they stoned him. All Israel stoned him with stones. It's sad. That's, that's one of the things that the sons of Korah would have remembered. As they took Achan's whole family. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor literally means the Valley of Trouble. Now, sometimes due to our own sin or the sin of others, or even just because of the sin-filled world we live in, we find ourselves in the Valley of Trouble. But when we are rightly related to Jesus Christ, and we're focusing on our present and our future with Him, we have hope as we walk through this valley of trouble. Now, the prophet Hosea says something very encouraging to us as as God's people. He's prophesying about the coming captivity of Israel and how they'll be carried away into captivity. But at the end of that harsh prophecy, Hosea tells them some good news, that they would be restored to the land. In Hosea 2.15, he says, There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor, that one clear back where Achan was, had been known through all of Israel's history from that point on as the valley of trouble, I will make it a door of hope. See, only our God can turn trouble into hope. Only our God can turn anxiety into trust. Only our God can walk with us through the valley of dryness and despair. And there is yet one more valley we've got to walk through, and we'll all have to walk through it if, if the Lord doesn't come first. And in Psalm 23, very familiar verse to you, verse 4 and 6, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then, that's a, a great verse, the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. And because he's with us, comes out verse 6, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He leads us through the darkest valley And he brings us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what the psalmist writes. And Jesus alone is able to lead us through that valley. He's our faithful guide. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the only guide who has been that way before. And so we can trust him to take us through that valley because he's been that way before. Now, I like Francis, but I don't want him to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not been that way before. He might not really know the way, but Jesus does. And he's going to take us by a hand and take us through that valley. We can trust Jesus to lead us through any valley. If he can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, he can lead us through the valley of trouble. He can lead us through the valley of dryness. Wherever we are, he can do that. Psalm 80, 48, 14 says, For this God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even to the end even to the end. Traveling home requires supernatural endurance. 
Traveling home requires supernatural endurance. Go back to Psalm 84. It says they go from strength to strength. From strength to strength. Now think about our normal work project at home or our normal journey we take out on or your normal bike ride you start. Whatever happens, we start in strength. But as we progress along the way, we get tireder and tireder and tireder until we're really happy to get home and get a big glass of water and sit down for a while and rest. It ends with fatigue. But not so with those whose strength is in God walking this life, whose hearts are on the highway to Zion. Verse 5 says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength, from one degree of strength to another degree of strength to another degree of strength. When we say, I can't take one more thing in this world, I can't face one more disappointment, it's the flesh that speaks. It's supernatural, but we move from strength to strength by the grace of God. In each new morning, each new situation, God's grace is waiting for there, for us there. Second Corinthians 3.18, Paul put it this way, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. We have to be weak to experience his power. If our weakness is always our focal point, I don't think we'll be used by God very much. He wants us to move from strength to strength by his power and realize that Whatever he asks us to do, he gives us the strength to accomplish. Number eight, be sure heaven is your number one dream destination. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. (laughs) The psalm began with the psalmist longing for the house of God. How lovely is your dwelling place. And now he returns to that thought right here. Time spent at God's house was better and more valuable than time spent elsewhere. Time spent in heaven, one day in heaven. If You know, if, if you want to kill one more trophy elk before you go to heaven, I don't really have many words of encouragement for you today. If, the, if there's anything on this earth that you'd want to do, you kind of hope God puts off his second coming because he'd like to do this first. I don't, I don't have any words for you. If there's one more place you'd like to visit before Jesus gets back, I'm kind of speechless for you. But if your greatest desire is to be where Jesus is, I do have some words for you. You are ready to navigate these perilous days with great confidence. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If we could only have one day in heaven, we would never forget it. If we could only have one, if we had one day in heaven, we would never have a desire for anything else. The psalmist here goes on, he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. And I even put maybe even a doorstop in the house of the Lord. You see, what's he saying there? He's saying, I would rather have the lowest position in heaven the lowest imaginable position in heaven far outweighs anything on earth. Number nine, trust God for each day of the journey. Trust him for each day of the journey. The the psalmist explains the goodness 
and the blessing that come to those pilgrims who love and long for the house of God says, he will lead us and protect us. He will lead us and protect us. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The sun speaks of being a light for us in a dark place. The shield speaks of being our protection in a dangerous place. Charles Spurgeon says, a sun for happy days and a shield for dangerous ones, a sun above, a shield around, a light to show the way, and a shield to ward off its perils. Isn't that good? Another blessing is he will give us favor and honor. He bestows favor and honor. Some of your translations say grace and glory. Grace is God's first gift. Glory is his last gift to us. Again, Spurgeon says, glory never comes without grace coming first, but grace never comes without glory coming last. The two are bound together, and what God hath joined together, let not man put us under. Finally, we have confidence and can stay on track by realizing that he will meet our needs. He will meet our needs. It says, no good thing does he withhold. No good thing. So I I hope you can see that it's not our circumstances that dictate how we live in this troubled world, this crazy world we're finding ourselves in right now. Rather, it's our hope in the future. It's our vision of the Savior. It's our desire to be with Him as we are living as pilgrims in this world. Maybe, Maybe you've been way too worried in these days about the way the world is going, the way our nation is going. I know I have. And I often have to come back to Psalm 63 and Psalm 84 and refocus my thoughts and attention. But seeing how crazy it is certainly creates a level of excitement as I read how God wants us to give, uh, he wants to give us something bigger and better than this world could ever offer. And he wants to give it to us at the time we need it most. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are so happy that you're our Savior. We're so happy that you've invited us to spend eternity with you. We look forward to that day. Keep Make this become a, a room full, a church full of pilgrims. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.